I was going to start off with an apology for the sermon this morning, but I, maybe I'll just twist that and, and, and make it a warning about the sermon this morning. How's that? That this should probably be two sermons, okay? But we're just, we've got things going on and schedules change, so it's going to be smushed in there. Uh, that doesn't mean necessarily that you'll have to look at your watch more, uh, it might, but I'm, I'm trying to stay away from that. But just wanting you to know that if you get a little writer's cramp, if you get the, it just, just write the notes, get the information God needs you to need, and take that with you. We still have uh, brochures in the back that will have a small Bible study on today's uh, message. So you could take that with you, do that as a couple. Uh, do it as a family, do it as a small group, and, and, and get a hold of this wonderful message. Paul is, is closing the letter to his beloved church at Thessalonica, Thessaloniki, however you would say that, and um, he wants them to know the, uh, the, the, the everyday hope. What makes hope hope? every day? What is it that sustains hope? How is it that God is going to keep us filled with hope? How is God going to return to us again and again, refill our tank? And so I tried to get a little clever this week. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but there are, there are five M's, okay, this morning that I find in the text. Five, five M's, okay? You'll what? Just go with me, okay? And, and, and we are sustained in hope by our manner. That's the first M. You might want a, a manner, it could be a, a big house on a hill, but if you think about it in terms of personhood, our manner is our way. It's what identifies us. It's how and what we are like. So Paul enters this part of the passage telling the church at Thessalonica what they're like and what they're not like in order to develop their manner, their identity in hope. So here it goes. But you, my brothers, and I would just add my sisters, are not, your manner is not, darkness. So that this day, he's still talking about the eschaton, the, the second coming that we spent last week on. So that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are, your manner is, like sons, like light, and sons of the day. We do not belong to, in other words, our manner is not, night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep. And in this place, he's using the word sleep as dead to alive things. Right? So again, you're getting the contrast, what we are, what we aren't. Paul's trying to stir up hope in them. You, you, the thief wants you to take this message to the opposite, right? Oh, no hope for you. you. You can't get this right. You're just all about the darkness. You're all about the... You're, you're, you're dead and asleep. 
But let us be alert and self-controlled. He's going to use that word again and define it a little better in the, in the next section. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. So our manner is, is, uh, is simply this. We are sons and daughters of light. We are self-controlled people. Now he's going to talk more about self-control. But let me talk again just about sons and daughters. We are family. This is a Hebrew idiom that says, you are the king's kids. Man, if you get stuck on the side of the road or, or one of those bad emails or whatever it is that you're, you're getting you know, drawn into and you say, wait a minute, I'm a king's kid. I don't need any of that. Hope comes back in bundles to you. But if you start thinking, oh yeah, wow. Yeah, maybe I'm just a crummy person. Maybe I'm just a bad Christian. Maybe I'm never going to add up to what Pastor Jeff says. <sighs> Slippery slope. Paul's just saying, by your manner, you are hopeful people. This is good news. And, and that, that in all of this, you're self-controlled. And let me just say, self-controlled means you accept yourself as God accepts you. See yourselves as children. Sons and daughters of God. This is, the, I, I could get excited, right? We are the kids of the king. If you accept God's verdict on your life, vis-a-vis -vis the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, hopeful. But if you set, accept your, the verdict on your life, I got car trouble in Utah, uh, you know, I'm stuck behind those guys that are whatever they're doing on the road here, and I'm already 10 minutes late to my doctor's appointment in San Andreas. You know, whatever it is, it's our manner that is one of the sustaining values of everyday hope. The second is our, is our maintenance of hope, which is twofold, because there's a maintenance of ourselves, which I'm going to talk about in a minute, and a maintenance of others. The maintenance is what we do and say, Okay? And this is also part of the self-control. And so he says, verse 8, but since we belong to the day, he's back, that's the manner, then here's the self-maintenance. Let us be self-controlled. How? Putting on faith and love as the breastplate and the hope of salvation as the helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, that would be uh, the other manner, right? But to receive salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, now he's talking about life or death, not spiritual asleep from, from before, so that whether you're dead or alive, we live together with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as you are doing. So the maintenance work is this. Every one of us are tasked with the maintenance of getting up every day and putting on the armor of God. Now, if we're not in the battlefield, you don't need the armor. So let me suggest, as I will later on, that we must engage ourselves in the battlefield. 
We must be doing and being involved in ministries, not the ones we like, but the ones we're called to. Not the ones we can do in our sleep, but the ones that would say, gosh, if, if I did that, I would probably have to pray a lot. I might have to study. I might have to, so I'm not going to say, when they start asking for volunteers, I'm not going to say yes to that. See where, we're, see where we're going here? A lot of Christians don't put on the breastplate or the helmet, the breastplate of, 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 of faith and love or the helmet of salvation. So they drop, Christians along the side just drop out of everything difficult because they, they're smart. Don't go in the battlefield if you don't got something that shoots back or protects them. So anemic Christians throughout, uh, you know, affluent, self-sufficient Western world are just saying no to things. We'll let, we'll let the younger people do that. We'll let the older people do that. We'll let those guys do that. We'll let the, the scholars do that. And we've just checked out. And Paul's saying, you take on the self-maintenance of what this is all about. You get yourself in the battlefield. And by the way, if you, if you wanted to do a study of the armor of God, I wouldn't start here, but you'll find, you'll find more verses. This is just the two biggest pieces. Like, you know, if I'm going out in the battlefield and there's all the armor and the guy says, you've got only enough time for two. I'm not going to take a belt and shoes. I'm going to get something on my head and something on my body. So we're understanding what this maintenance is, right? This is something that's going to protect something vital. The breastplate went from about here to about here. That's all the vitality, right? And, and the helmet covered this. And sometimes that's questionable about my vitality, whether that's protecting anything or not. But so be it, you lose a lot if you, if you take one in the head. So this armor of God is the breastplate, which is faith and love, to go out in the battlefield. You don't go out in the battlefield unless you're protecting your loved one. And you don't go out in the battlefield unless you have faith that you should be out on the battlefield. So that counts for a real battlefield, but it also counts for teaching Sunday school. Or going to a work day at the church, or any number of things, right? Helping with do whatever, whatever it is. You see, that, and this whole thing about the hope of salvation is simply this. If my head and my heart know that I'm going to be okay, dead or alive on the battlefield, then I can go out there. But if you don't have that salvation helmet on, you're going, well, I go to church, I sing in the choir, I, you know, I, I invite someone to church on Easter. Let us be very clear this morning. Christians are those who have put the helmet on. They've accepted Christ into their life. And they're now living an appropriately faith-filled, risky life for Jesus. Because they've got faith. They've got hope. And by the way, if you're just checking this out, aren't these the three noble virtues of Christianity? Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Interesting, isn't it? How this all syncs up. We aren't filled with these things. Then we will not have, we won't be maintenancing the hope. We won't be oiling the chain. 
Right, Pete? We, we, won't, we, you know, that, we don't oil the chain. Uh, we're not going to cut a lot of wood. Okay? And, and so that's what that's all about. But there's an encouragement, uh, 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 maintenance for ourselves, but others need to be encouraged. Did you notice the last verse? Therefore, encourage one another, build each other up, just as you are in fact doing. If we're to maintenance this thing, it's not just, oh, I, got, I went to church and I got mine. You've got to get enough at church for you and, and the 10 people you're going to meet this week to encourage them with something. That's what we do when we get... So, so the maintenance is for us and for others. Others need our encouragement. The armor of God reminds us who we are and whose we are. Because all over the armor, it says, this is my team. Team God. You know... And so, so when you put that armor on, you know you're, you're fighting God's battles, you know God's protecting you, and, and you're encouraged in that faith. When you encourage others, you remind them of who they are and whose they are. So when you pull up beside someone or you see someone and you think, oh, I'm busy, you, have you you don't have to confess this. No one raise your hand. But you're going through the supermarket and you, you notice down one of the aisles, you don't need anything on that aisle, but it's someone you know. And you know, I'm just trying to get out of here, you know, and get home. If you just stop and turn down that aisle, how, how, how you doing, Don? You okay today? Is life all right for you? We need that encouragement. We we need to, we want to talk about the world being dark places and all that. But then this, this encouragement is so important. Here's the thing about remembering. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Why? Because if we don't remember what the world is dismembering, we lose the darkness of the world, everything that is not about our manner is trying to sever and dismember the holy hope that God wants for you. And the only way to, 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 to fight the world's severing of our hope is to remember our hope together. See? And that's what this is all about. So that should have been the first sermon. So now we're on to the second sermon of this passage. And that would be our mindfulness. Verses 12 through 15. Being like-minded. Being focused and purposed in the Spirit. And I'm going to bounce around a little bit in here because there's several things that happen in this. And I first want to talk about, we want to be mindful with everyone. The passage has three places where it tells everyone to do all of these things. So if you go with me to the end of verse 13, it says, live at peace with each other. That means everyone lives at peace with everyone. Really hard thing to do. We're, we're kind of in a place these days, well, they're doing bad things, so we're going to do bad things to them. That is not the Jesus way. That's how everything gets to, to, to kind of where it is. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about that. Then, he goes, then you can go down to um, uh, verse 15 where, where actually before that he says, Regard, live in peace with each other. And then he says, make sure 
that no one pays back wrong for wrong. Always try to be kind to each other. So that's the second one. Be kind to one another. And then he also says, I know I'm bouncing around here, be patient with each other. So all of us are to be at peace, patient, and kind with everyone. Never returning evil. Well, they started it. There's nothing in the Bible about they started it. Jesus finished it. And were Jesus's representative to carry out war against someone carrying out war. See, that, 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 that spiritually makes no sense at all. And, and so peace means we are reconciled to all people. That's where we have peace. Patience means we have time for people. Most of impatience is centered around what we think we have in terms of time or not time for people or individuals. And kindness is mostly, check this out, most kindness in the world has to do with tone and presence. A kind person, we usually can tell a kind person because the tone of their voice and their presence as they stand before. If their presence is this, that's not, you know, and their voice is, well, I'm trying to tell you. See, none of that, none of that speaks to kindness. That, that just doesn't shake you up a little bit because we, we all struggle with that. The next piece of mindfulness here, by the way, is about leaders. And that's the first part of, of verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard. Love them because of their work. Respect and regard is empowered by love. Love always means work and sacrifice. If we only give to people who aren't a lot of work or aren't a lot of sacrifice, we may be giving to get. We give to them and they give back, see. What he's talking about here is the word love, agape, self-giving, God-giving love. When we truly love our enemy. Jesus said. None of the other great people in the world said anything like that. Love your enemy. The only way to make sure you have no enemies at all is that you love them. Your passage, you have peace with them. You're reconciled regardless of what they do. Right? We, we, we make our own enemies. And Jesus is saying that can be dropped away and that's what Paul's talking about. Then there's three other uh, situations here. You got them there. They are the idle, the timid, and the weak. And these are three types of people who resist God's work in their life. And once again, we talked about this earlier. When we're resisting God's work in our life, instead of saying yes to God's challenges of faith, we say no because we're timid or we're idle or we're weak. So he says this, We urge you, brothers, to warn the idle, encourage the timid, and help the weak. Warning is to speak the truth in love. 
versus either not speaking or telling someone something not out of love. So to, to warn is to speak the truth in love, to really care. We love to warn people that we don't care about. Hey, get off the lawn, right? That's a warning, you know. It could turn into a threat or else, right? But that's not what he's talking about here. He's saying you're going to run up against, including yourself, this, is, this could be a, a lesson on self-acceptance, including ourselves, we could run up against a lot of warning ourselves, you know, that, uh, that in love, that, that we're okay, we may have failed, we may have got this wrong, but, but we're back in, we're king's kids, so th- this is something that can turn around for us. Encourage the timid literally means to comfort, to surround. We want to surround our most timid people with so much compassion that they would never fear to fail. See, timid people are afraid of failing. So we, gotta, we, we, we can kind of kick them in the behind and say, try harder, do more. That's not what they need. They need our surrounding hug. They need our compassion. Do you know that Thomas Edison, it took him 5,000 times to get a light bulb? Do you know how secure he was in failure? We'd be in candles right now, or the fans would be blowing out the candles. I guess we wouldn't have electricity. I don't know what we'd be doing right now. But you see, for, for people that are timid, they don't need a shove. They need a hug. They need someone alongside of them, which, by the way, means that you're going to have to be at peace and patient and kind with everyone. You see how this works together? Mindfulness, to, to have this mindset as to how we would be as a community of God will give us great hope. If we don't have all of these things. We kind of get at each other's throats and churches can be the, the most awful places in the world, right? I mean, nothing worse than being a church that can't be a church. It, it, it's a great, great field for complaining about things. I can talk louder than that horn can go in the parking lot, so I'm just not going to let it bother me. See, I, I'm, I'm going to be encouraging uh, of the timid. Finally, the weak. Help those who are weak. Hold them up until they can hold themselves. That's the message here. I guess they have a long shopping list over there, don't they? Just thought you were thinking about that. So somehow in the midst of everything that is of weakness, weakness needs to be held until it can stand on its own. Here's what Paul says to the Philippians. If you have any compassion from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from His love, if you have any fellowship with the Spirit, if you have any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose, doing nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, considering others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to their own interests, but to the interests of others. 
your attitude should be the same as Jesus, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be snatched, but made himself nothing. The very nature of a servant, made in the likeness of a human being. You see what's going on there? There's something happening here in this mindfulness that that brings regard for self and others to a really important place. If we don't get this right, we can't be the church that God called us to be. So let let me add a chapel challenge to mindfulness. Are we willing to be made nothing servants, this is an important point, I guess. God got to whoever was honking the horn. Servants, are we willing to be made nothing? Servants on behalf of the next generation who will become Christians. Let me fill this out. There is a natural flow in our world today that disregards the next generation of children and teenagers and their parents. And we want to say it's their fault. They should go to church. You see, that's about against everything I've said for the first 20 minutes so far. They have to be attracted to church. They have to be invited to church. And when they get here, it better be church for them and not church for us. Now, we want to talk about being pro-life and doing all that stuff, and that is super important. But if those children don't find a place or their parents don't see a place here, this this is the next big challenge for the chapel family. Because we want to, we, we, we want all that. We want to say we're about young families and children. And, and we, we just, but saying it and doing it, being in Sunday school, the nursery, youth group, is two different things. Found this interesting fact. It's a little outdated, this factoid. But I just want you to get where the world's going and how the church is following the world in this. Here's the interesting fact. The annual wage of a daycare worker or someone that works with, with, with teens in a, in a non-professional way, the wage is somewhere, annual wage is somewhere at or below 20000 But the annual wage for a care person for baby animals in the, in the San Francisco Zoo is well over $60,000. Interesting, isn't it? So, what I'm talking about is, is I'm saying this, this challenge, and, and here's, I'm just throwing it out today, not going to get anyone to sign up, but I'm just throwing this out. If everyone in the chapel family gave an hour and a half a month to something that had to do with children's teens and their families, I mean, you could throw it all in the ring and teach Sunday school once a month. You can go over and uh, rake pine needles in Jody's yard for him because he's working with kids, you see. 
or you can go over to Cecile and Bill's house because they're all about kids and wash their dishes or bring them a meal. But I think to turn the ship around begins with, yeah, finding the right pastor and the right programs and all of that, but our mindfulness, our hope has to be built in. Everyone's going to do something about the biggest place where we can have an impact on the mountain. Enrollment continues to go up. Hazel Fisher, right, Brett? Okay, kindergarten, still up. They're here. There were days when uh, they weren't here. But they're coming. They're going to go someplace or no place at all. Every person in the chapel family, one hour and a half every month, kids, teenagers, parents, whether you're right directly, we'll figure that out. You just say yes. We'll find your appropriate place in that. And, and that's changing the mindset. Hey, the fourth, and we're, we're getting close. Uh, the, the fourth is the manifestation of hope. Um, and this is, pow- I, I love these verses. We, we, we use these all the time at Thanksgiving and whatnot. Verses 16 through 18. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. There are three manifestations. This is what, if, if we are, if our manner, if our maintenance and our mindfulness is, is trending to hope, as the scriptures call us to, then the manifestation will be, Always joyful, continuous in prayer, and in everything giving thanks. Always joyful. Uh, It doesn't mean everything goes for you, but there's a difference between those who curse the darkness and those who light a candle. They're both in the same place. That's what it means. Are we cursing the darkness? The same with prayer. Continuous in prayer means it's natural to complain. None of us need the Holy Spirit to complain well. We get that. But prayer teaches us to bring what we would normally call complaints to the throne of God and say, what do you want me to do in my life so I won't be so stinky about this thing? How do you want to change me? And of course, in everything, giving thanks. To, to understand that we get to take the world as it is, not as we would have it, and that we, we, are, we are not entitled to an explanation from God as to why this stuff keeps happening. I got a list this week started with my septic tank, and now my gas line doesn't work. It's been cold showers for most of this week, which the, the temperature down in Valley Springs has worked really well for that. And I'd like to tell you that I've been a perfect saint all week, but I haven't. But see, what you do is when you can't be perfect, you just tell everyone about it. So it's been pretty crummy down there, and we're, you know, for the foreseeable future, still in cold showers. But I'm going to elicit some help, right, Jared? My, my, my problem is, yes, my, I, I told him earlier in the week, no, I got it solved. God says, Jeff, you ain't got nothing solved. You're going to have to ask some friends to help you. 
Nice. Nice. This is what it's all about. It's not about the perfect world. It's about finding joy, finding prayer, finding thanks in it. The lost generation of kids and teens and their parents need to feel our joy, know that we're praying for them, and see our thankfulness on our faces when they come to the door or we come to their door with the gospel. That's got to happen. We can't talk about it. We, we've got to personalize this. Finally, this morning is the means of hope. Listen to this carefully because God's telling us. You were thinking, oh man, Jeff's just given us so much. I don't know where we're even going to start or how we're going to do it. Don't think that way. Read the Bible. It says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to what is good. Avoid every kind of evil. Make May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. Make your whole spirit, soul, body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord. And then I'm going to read this several times, but verse, four, verse 24 is worth the whole sermon. The one who calls you is faithful. He will do it. The one that asks you to spend an hour and a half every month, God's going to do it. All you have to do is say yes to something that is going to take God in you to do. Right? And that's what this is all about. God is the refining fire. We are the impure gold. God's going to heat up the gold till the impurities rise to the top. And then he's going to take something and knock it off the top. So just about the time God heats you all up and you're all steamed about that, he's going to knock the bad stuff off the top. And that's God. That's not the devil made me do it. That's God's preferred way of raising up Disciples and purifying gold. It seems harsh, but it's all there to put us into a place where we let go and let God so that we can be people who live yes to God and no to everything else. This is our only real power. Okay, God, yes. Let's just tear up the backyard. Let's just get a cement saw. You know, let's get one of those jackhammers or whatever Jared's going to bring over to my yard next week. Just okay, God. Yes. And, and when we do that, there's this power of surrender. We always thought putting up the white flag was a bad thing. That's the world. But surrender to God is beautiful. He wants all of his children, boys and girls, surrendered to him and at his knees. Children were surrendered. The disciples were saying, get the kids out of here. We don't have Sunday school today. There were no volunteers. Jesus says, let the little children come to me. I don't have anything else to do today but bounce these dudes on my knee and be with them. I love this portrait at the end. He says, brothers, pray for us. I mean, that's golden. There's no way that Paul's not saying, I need your prayers for everything I've just said. I mean, I'm out here writing the Bible. I'm going to all these churches. I'm doing all this stuff. Pray for me. And then he says, greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. We're going to come back to that. I 
charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you, which is again really close to verse 24. The one who calls you is faithful. He will do it. So check out this portrait, this example. Pray. God wants us to pray to God and not just pray about others and things. Talk to God. Get into a crazy relationship where you don't have the radio on and if someone in the freeway sees you or they're passing you, you're driving along talking to someone and no one's in the other seat because you're just saying, God, I need you today. God, this is going to be tough today or this is going to be great today or I, I get to go to lunch with this person today, whatever it is. Number two in this picture that Paul's raising up is greet one another. I kind of let my ammo out on that, but we do really great. Oh, we're, we're, Pastor Jeff, we're a friendly church. You're friendly to the people in this area or in this area. or in the, Some of you move around, so I can't do that. But you see, I'd love to see fellowship time, someone from this, you know, section four go to section A, B in the back and talk to them and be really friendly. Or better than all of that, just find someone you've never said anything to and say, I've never said anything to you. It's time to start. Just gave you permission now. So uh, the cat's out of the bag. That's what we're going to start doing at chapel. I've never met you. What's your name, bud? Right? It's that simple. The thief says, don't embarrass yourself. Don't let them know that you don't know that they don't know you and you don't know them. What kind of confusing world is that? We just get get pulled out of our inheritance by our boots. And we can't be church because we're afraid that they would think we're not. People in section B know that they're not ever greeted by the people in section C anyway. So blow their minds next week. Greet them. I love this. Greet them with a holy kiss. I don't think, uh, this is going to sound a little bit strange to you, but I think part of, of, of Western Christianity is they're really afraid of, of, of being affectionate with other Christians. I've got to be really careful here. I get all of that. But when I'm in the third world, when I'm, in, when I'm in the place where the church is persecuted for being the church, I see two men greet in the marketplace that are Christians, and they walk away holding hands. Two big old Ethiopian guys holding hands. They are so glad to see another brother. And then they get to the end of the street where they're parting ways. See you. See you after work. I'm going, that was a little bit weird. But you see, somehow they, they, they got out from underneath that. They kissed cheeks. In Ethiopia, they reach hands and say, Tanasteline, and they bump shoulders. That's, that's cool. But we're just a little invasion of space. You know, have you ever been on a crowded elevator? We kind of do that in the church a little bit. Don't get, you know, in, in my place. Obviously, read the gospel. Read this thing out loud. I was talking to someone else the other night about reading, you know, when you read something out loud, how it becomes alive. We just get used to reading out loud and then give grace to one another. I got a closing story. It's been 
a, a lot to deal with, but I just, this, is, this is a great story. So this man dies. He goes to heaven. St. Peter meets him at the pearly gates, and Peter says this. He goes, here's how it works. You need 100 points to get into heaven. Guy kind of scratches his head. That doesn't seem right, but, you know, he's St. Peter. I'm here. Let's go with this. You tell me all the good things you've done, and I'll give you a certain number of points for each of those things, depending on the item. When you reach 100, ding, you're in. Okay, says the man. He goes, I was married to the same woman for 50 years, uh, was completely faithful, loved her with all my heart. Whoa, Peter says, that was wonderful. Two points. What? What do you mean? He goes, Okay, well, I attended church all my life, and I supported the ministries with, with my money and my time, my talent, my testimony and everything. Terrific, says St. Peter. One point. One point. I started a soup kitchen. I, I worked in the inner city. I did a shelter for a Fantastic. Two more points. Two points. Exasperated, the guy goes, at this rate, the only way I'm going to get into heaven is by the grace of God. Bingo, 100 points, you're in. That's how hope works. We're not, we're not twisting tails or arms here today. We're not drumming up support for some kind of emotional, uh, you know, uh, we all be good time. We're talking about people living in the real world, sustaining hope on the ability of living out of one's manner and identity, maintenancing that through the power of the armor of God and encouraging one another, mindful of the task in front of us, manifesting joy, prayer, thanksgiving through a means of surrender, not do more, work harder. So that we might learn to pray, greet, kiss, read, and grace one another with the things that God's doing.